TBS. The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Across the Airwaves, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions on the entertainment industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, and with me is a guy who is very excited about his Blackhawks, but saddened by some news to come out of the Hoovers. My co-host... Hey everybody, it's Nico and welcome to Across the Airwaves. On this week's episode, our weekly reviews consist merely of psych due to the Memorial Day holiday. However, our Airwaves Rundown section will wrap up the abbreviated episode with our thoughts on Family Guy, Simpsons, The Goodwin Games, and Michael's discussion of Revolution. And I think this is for the first time ever we've just had one show in our regular section. All right. So with that, let's move into News with Nico. That has some pretty big news for several shows that we cover here on ATA. Matt Smith to leave Doctor Who. Matt Smith, the 11th Doctor, has announced plans to exit his role on the BBC's Doctor Who after four years on the show. Smith joined the show in 2010 and will depart following the upcoming highly anticipated 50th anniversary special and then the Christmas special in which he will be regenerated into what will become the 12th Doctor. Here's what Matt had to say. Doctor Who has been the most brilliant experience for me as an actor and a bloke, and that largely is down to the cast, crew, and fans of the show. I'm incredibly grateful to all the cast and crew who work tirelessly every day to realize all the elements of the show and deliver Doctor Who to the audience. Many of them have become good friends, and I'm incredibly proud of what we have achieved over the last four years. Having Stephen Moffat as showrunner write such varied, funny, mind-bending, and brilliant scripts has been one of the greatest and most rewarding challenges of my career. It's been a privilege and a treat to work with Steven. He's a good friend and will continue to shape a brilliant world for the Doctor. The fans of Doctor Who around the world are unlike any other. They dress up, shout louder, know more about the history of the show, and speculate more about the future of the show in a way that I've never seen before. Your dedication is truly remarkable. Thank you so much for supporting my incarnation of the Time Lord, number 11, who I might add is not done yet. I'm back for the 50th anniversary and the Christmas special. It's been an honor to play this part to follow the legacy of brilliant actors and helm the TARDIS for a spell with the ginger, the nose, and the impossible one. But when you gotta go, you gotta go. And Trenzalor calls. Thank you guys, Matt. Smith began his journey with now-beloved companions Amy Pond, played by Karen Gillan, and Rory Williams, played by Arthur Darville, and has continued on in the second portion of the Season 7 with Clara Oswald, played by Jenna Louise Coleman. Executive producer and head writer Stephen Moffat will now begin the search for the next Doctor, who will have some sizable shoes to fill. Yes, sir. We, We will keep you updated as further details on the search for the new Doctor emerge. For now, a giant thank you to Matt and a fond farewell to number 11. You will be missed. Yeah, that's for sure. I really enjoyed Matt Smith as the Doctor. I think it's sad to see him go this soon. I think it might be the right time for him to go. Because he's going to go on such a huge epic note with the 50th anniversary. And he'll be remembered for that. And I think with 
the closeness he had on screen and off screen with Arthur Darville and uh, Karen Gillian, I think that their relationship, they were very tight. Because mm-hmm. I think it's not the same for him without them around. So I understand why it kind of feels right to him to move mm-hmm. on. I get that. Yeah. It's just not the same experience. And I'm glad he's going out with it so positive. And I really hope we see him in other stuff in the future because he's a really great actor. I think that has to do with this a little bit. I think he is getting offered many roles. He's come to America and Hollywood a couple times now. And I do think he, we're going to start seeing him all over the place. Yeah. I, I think that's a great call. I, I think he should follow after uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, <laughs> who's made a big splash this summer. Yep. Dan Harmon returns to Community. Dan Harmon is officially making nice. his way back to Greendale. The Community creator on uh, this last Saturday took to Twitter to confirm his return to the NBC comedy. Quote, yes, yes, yes. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. He shared with a fan begging for a straight answer to the week-long comeback rumors, adding, you can thank Joel McHale. Harmon, who parted ways with the cult comedy last year after meticulously helming it for its first three seasons, has yet to reveal in what capacity he'll be involved in the community's upcoming run. But this is amazing news, because although I very much enjoyed this last season of Community, it was definitely missing something special that Harmon brought to the show he created. Good news, and looks like we'll have a great fifth season. Yes, I agree with that. Great news to have him back. Was there a switch with personnel at NBC that allowed for this to happen, or was the cast? just really supportive of him and got it back. There wasn't really any any indication of what changed and allowed him to come back. I think it was maybe a realization on NBC's part that while it was still very successful for community standards this year, it just was missing that spark. And with enough people clamoring for him to come back, it was the right move to make. And NBC actually did what was right for once. Yeah, that's that's great news. And I'm glad he was not so ticked off that he was willing to come back. So that's great news, too. Yeah. That all worked out for everybody. In a follow-up to last week's News with Nico article, Henry Cavill replaces Cruz as lead in The Man from Uncle. Man of Steel's Henry Cavill has stepped in to replace Tom Cruise in the feature film version of the classic spy TV series, The Man from Uncle. Variety reports that Cavill will star as secret agent Napoleon Solo opposite the Lone Ranger's Army Hammer as Ilya Kuryakin in the Guy Ritchie-directed action movie. Solo and Kuryakin are operatives for the United Network Command for Law and Enforcement. Cavill, who was the runner-up to play 007 in Casino Royale, recently expressed his keenness to still play James Bond one day. Perhaps the man from Uncle is either his training ground for taking over the role in the future, or the closest he'll get to doing it. Only time will tell. Are people going to be able to separate him from Superman, though, after this summer? I I, I think with any good actor you're always able to invest in him as someone else i i mean a normal person is some fanboys cannot they they will always see them as that one character but look at look at nathan fillin we love him as castle but he was the captain you know yeah and for a long time he was our captain and well 13 episodes but in our mind (laughs) for a long time and he is castle when you look at him now he is castle and he is the captain. So unless you're 
ridiculous, you'll be able to differentiate him and see him as another actor. I mean, look at Tom Cruise. He has done so many iconic roles, and every time you buy into him as that new character. Yeah, and I think, I'm just saying, with the track record of Superman, those the actors that have played Superman before, again, Tom Welling still has a career in front of him, so we'll see what happens with him, but a lot of the other actors that played Superman have never really been able to escape that. Yes, so but a lot of those actors that. had not done anything prior to being Superman. True. And Cavill has done other right. roles. So this might be his first huge major blockbuster, but it will not be his defining role. Right. Ben Elon is leaving Supernatural to rejoin Eric Kripke at Revolution. I am now excited for season two of Revolution because of news out of Australia that says Ben Elon, Supernatural's most celebrated writer and executive producer, is leaving the CW show to help out his old pal and Supernatural creator, Eric Kripke, over at Revolution. It may not mean much to you, but this is big yeah. news to us here at ATA that absolutely love Ben Elon. Word of Elon's new job came from actor Misha Collins' mouth. According to the great folks at Supernatural Knows It All over at Winchester Family Business, Collins reportedly announced the news while attending the All Hell Breaks Loose Supernatural Conference down under. Ben Edlin, who's also written for The Venture Boys, Firefly, Angel, and The Tick, is responsible for some of Supernatural's best and most creative episodes, including The End, The French Mistake, and Wishful Thinking. Supernatural will survive just fine without Edlin, but Revolution should get a huge boost yeah. with him as it looks to improve creatively after its dull first season. I also would say expect things to get a little more weirder or a little more sci-fi next season with him involved now. It's possible. And it's not just Elon who will help things out in season two. It was previously announced that Farscape and Defiance creator Rockney S. O'Bannon, as well as CSI New York's Trey Calloway, are also joining Revolution's writing team. Edlin, O'Bannon, Calloway, and Kripke make a solid quartet. Good news for Revolution going into Season 2. But I will be watching Arrow. Just was way better than anything Revolution has offered me this season. So I'm okay. for Arrow. That's where I'm at. Amazon orders five original pilots, including Alpha House and Betas. The future of television is here, again, this time from that place where you buy books, video games, and ink cartridges online. Amazon Studios has announced the five series it is moving forward with in its first go at original programming after a month plus of audience participation to determine the show's fates. Rather surprisingly, well, at least to me, Amazon only ordered two of the eight adult-targeted comedy series that were in contention, but went heavier on children's programming, picking up three of its six series aimed at young viewers. For the older folks, there will be Alpha House and Betas. Alpha House comes from Doonesbury creator Gary Trudeau and stars John Goodman as one of four U.S. senators who share a house together in Washington, D.C. The takeaway here is that it pays to have a Bill Murray cameo as he was in the video that they showed that fans could vote on. Betas follows a quartet of friends attempting to launch a social media app in Silicon Valley and stars Ed Beagley Jr. and John Daly. As I said, this could be the future of television here again. Only time will tell if these Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon exclusives and new original programming change the face of TV forever. And speaking of original internet programming, Arrested Development is back on Netflix, so you can watch it there. Yep. Yes. And that's the news with Nico for this week. All right, good stuff. I was kind of hoping that show Betas was going to be a sequel to Alphas, but I guess not. <laughs> uh, that'd be too much to ask. <laughs> yeah. It would make Sheldon happy, though. Yes. Yes. The big thing there, yes. 
All right, so uh, let's move on to an episode of Psych that I think can say things are going to be changing around Santa Barbara quite a bit as a new character has been added to the series that may mix things up a bit. So let's talk now about the Psych's episode. No trout about it. Psych you out in the end. A consultant is brought in to evaluate everyone's effectiveness as detectives, but their alleged misdeeds are matched only by the quirkiness of the consultant. The season finale for Psych started off with a bang. Literally. Because a car chase to catch a suspect lead to Sean and Gus get the Blueberry crashing into Lassie and Juliet get their police sedan. Yes, it was another Sean Spencer screw-up. That of course left his dad calling him an idiot. Got me almost laughing because hard at Sean during the Santa Barbara Marathon because I was a few weeks ago got Gus's crime scene tampering. However, my laughter was quickly cut off as this screw-up forced the mayor to bring in a consultant played by Anthony Michael Hall the third cast member from The Breakfast Club, to appear on Psych to evaluate Team Psych's effectiveness. Now, let's just say this consultant from Buffalo, named Harris Trout, was as mean as a bull in a china cabinet, because he started his meeting with Team Psych, firing everyone with a chance to explain themselves, which was easier said than done, as Trout had quite a few angry quirks, including dumping a plate full of fresh donuts in the trash, hating his nephews, talking to his mother on the phone in a really nasty fashion, and worst of all, not believing in psychics, while having this odd craving for power or energy bars. Well, technically, I don't think anyone on this show believes in psychics. But that's besides the point. Because what I'm getting at is the character of Trout was brought in to be one of those fun killer characters that we love to hate. Because they threaten to mess up everything we hold dear with memorable TV icons like Sean and Gus. With that, Nico, I'm curious if you thought Anthony Michael Hall was effective at playing this type of character in a way that made him likable, could fit the tone of Psych's humor. Yeah, Dan, Anthony Michael Hall was very effective as playing the quirky, abrasive, humorless consultant sent in by the head honchos to discipline or punish the SBPD mystery-solving gang. What was even better was that Hall's character may or may not have been an Emmy-winning consultant on a show called Badge and Honor. But I think what made it most effective was that Anthony Michael Hall, who is most known for being the adorable geek from 16 Candles, Weird Science, and The Breakfast Club, was such a great first-class dick to the team. He hasn't been this great of a jerk since Edward Scissorhands, where he was the prime antagonist to Edward in a brilliant role that I loved him as a giant douche. Really well done this week. Really well. Well, I think that's what inspired him to be on this episode. Yeah, and really, come on. Emilio Estevez is the only one from The Breakfast Club that hasn't shown up yet. Come on. What's he doing? He doesn't have anything to do. I know. Come on. They got to bring him in for the the series finale would be amazing. (laughs) Just even like a quick cameo. Yeah, uh, really. Just <laughs> was that Estevez? <laughs> did they did they have Judd Nelson show up? No, I don't think so. But I mean, yeah, th- there's a couple people left to hit. But essentially, the the ones that you know, Needs to, by, yeah. yeah, Estevez and Nelson are probably the only two that are left. Well, and also Anthony Michael Hall had a lot of experience with the USA and Sci-Fi Net- Channel Network because right. he was the big villain on Warehouse 13. That was on the Dead Zone on USA. Yeah which is a very popular show that was on USA at one time. So cool to see him back on the network. On that note, this episode revolving around a meeting between Team Psych and a consultant led to this mystery being presented in a different storytelling method called flashbacks told from Sean's perspective as he tried to explain his investigation revolving around a man who was poisoned to Trout. 
And even though the flashback format worked as a great way of making this story worthy of a season finale, the writers gave us aspirations for them to do so much more. Because the flashbacks told from Lassie's perspective was one of my favorite parts of the episode. And it really made me wish they could have had each of the characters, as in Sean, Gus, Juliet, and Lassie, explain a part of the mystery. Instead of having Sean explain the whole thing. Although I can't complain too much, because the idea of Sean and Gus being hired by a man who was essentially already dead was a pretty clever idea for the mystery, despite person of interest already doing it before. But in the end, Slyke made it their own, with the nice twist of the man who Sean and Gus was trying to help, actually faking the whole thing to get away with the bank robbery. So Nico, as a flashback connoisseur or fan of the technique, what did you think about being used to present this episode's story? And did you like how the mystery dealt with a dead man walking who could pass as actor Paul Giamatti's cousin? Fake the whole thing? Dan, I really enjoyed the flashback technique used in this week's episode. Much like the film, I think the, this episode was an excellent homage to 1980s DOA, in which yes. Dennis Quaid stars as an English professor trying to catch his own would-be murderer before a deadly poison kills him in 24 hours. This episode being told through a series of flashbacks was the only way this mystery could have worked. As you mentioned, Dan, we saw this idea of solving a murder of someone who is dying of being poisoned earlier this season on Person of Interest, and we both commended that show on its ability to tell that story in a compelling way. I think the fact that the original client in this week's episode faking his poisoning and almost getting away with it was Sykes' way of putting a twist on the concept and made it work so well and, once again, made it its own. I really enjoyed that episode of Person of Interest this season, but I almost think that with the mystery twist here, it might even have worked better, but at least as well as on Person of Interest. Well, the other thing is we underestimated the character as well, based on all the jokes and bashing Sean and Gus did of him throughout the entire episode. Exactly. So great red herring move. Much better than what they tried a couple weeks ago with the multiple personalities again. So very impressive. Really put it on the level of a season finale. Yep. Along with a strong mystery told in an interesting fashion, this season finale of Psych, because with all of the show's episodes, got its fair share of comedic moments. God, my favorite this week had to be Sean throwing the ashes of who he thought was his client on Lassie and Juliet in their car accident. Telling them it was cake mix because their reaction during the meeting with Trout, where Sean came clean on what the cake mix really was, just came across as simply priceless. In addition, other funny moments that I enjoyed was Chief Vic's reaction to discovering McNabb was a stripper, followed by her freaking out about Trout, discovering she got drunk at Marlowe's bachelorette party. Gus being scared that the guy who got poisoned was contagious, when he really wasn't. Trout's cravings for candy bars. Sean arguing with Trout that there were no bad episodes of Chips. Got all the quips Sean and Gus made about their hapless client, Leo, having a hot wife. Again, there were a lot more laugh-out-loud moments than what I just mentioned here, because this was yet another psych episode that you had to watch twice to catch all the jokes. But for those moments that I might have missed, I'm going to leave them to you, Nico, with the sharing of your favorite comedic moments from this episode. So what was those favorite comedic moments, Nico? My favorite comedic moments from this episode were Gus being extremely uncomfortable with Trout's use of silence as an interrogation technique and couldn't help but filling the dead air with inane comments. So is Trout a family name? I had waffles for breakfast this morning. Want to hear my shoulder click? I enjoyed the scene where Chief Vic learned that Magic Mike McNabb is a part-time stripper, which was news to her because she was so hammered at the bachelorette party he was hired to entertain. I love Sean's line about Leo's wife when he said, obviously I was skeptical of the super hot Latina married to the Travelocity gnome. I loved when Trout asked, how close are we to the part you turn the case into a bad episode of Chips, provoking a heated debate? First of all, there are no 
bad episodes of Chips, countered Sean. To which Gus countered, What about the one where Ponch is plagued with bad luck after he pulls over a van full of black cats? Sean replied, Character enrichment, Gus. I love that. I also love that Sean kept screwing up the compound 1080 poisoning <laughs> and calling it PX90, Blink 182, etc. Really, a funny episode this week that really worked. It really fit into the bringing out of the Trout character. Yes. As well. Funny stuff. Again, I thought, did, did you think the Leo guy? Good path for uh, Paul Giamatti's cousin. I'd seen that actor <laughs> before, but yeah, it, very much a, a skinny Paul Giamatti's yeah. cousin. Well, I've seen that actor before, too, and I saw that the last time I saw him. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, finally, I think the only thing that this like season finale maybe kind of sort of dropped the ball on, I guess it depends on your opinion, was what happened between Gus and his girlfriend, Rachel, as last week's episode ended with it, comparing she was going to break up with him. But surprisingly, this episode didn't mention anything at all about that, which is, I thought, kind of bad writings, because if you set up a season-long story arc, you kind of got to finish it, or at least leave it on a cliffhanger for next season. Thankfully, even though it wasn't as good as last year, we did get a solid cliffhanger that's for sure going to bring us back next season. Was Chief Vic being put on suspension? Got Trout taking her place as interim chief? However, if you think that's bad, it gets even worse, because Trout fires Sean, Gus, and shockingly McNabb, while removing Lassiter from his position, because head detective. And he does this all while throwing one of Gus's musical suck it's right back in his face. Come on, man, you can't use Gus's words against him. You know that ain't right. Anyway, my predictions for next season is that Sean and Gus will find some way to weasel their way back into solving mysteries for the Santa Barbara Police Department. And I think Lassie is going to welcome their comeback just to make Trout's life a living hell. And speaking of making life miserable for Trout, I think he's going to butt heads with Henry as he starts up his own detective agency. At the same time, unless he got picked up to be a part of a pilot since he's appeared on a variety of shows, I think we're going to get a reoccurring gag with McNabb where we are going to see him showing up working random jobs. And he may even end up as Sean and Gus's long-needed assistant. As for Gus's romance with Rachel, I don't know where that's going to go right now, because we didn't get anything more about it in this episode. So I guess with that, I'm going to leave it to Nico with his thoughts about Trout taking over as Chief, his predictions for next season, and if we're going to see Chief Vic again, or will we see her get her job back in the series finale or before that? Dan, I think it was a necessary evil having Trout take over for Chief Vic to progress the story and will be a plot-driving situation in the premiere. But I think it won't last much longer after the premiere, maybe an episode or two, before we see Chief Vic back where she belongs. I imagine that the show will have to return to the status quo fairly early because the standalone all-singing, all-dancing musical episode premieres in December, and for it to make any sense, things will have to be relatively back to normal for it to fit into the overall story arc, right? Well, I was thinking about that. I was thinking the show was going to return in February like it did this year. Mm -hmm. And the December thing was going to be like how they did those Christmas specials. And just a standalone? Yeah, just a standalone. And so it has no bearing on the current No, because story it, it was supposed to be in season seven. Right. So I think they wrote it and did it like it's season seven. Okay. So I think Sean and Jules will be together in it. Yeah. Because I think they'll do a love song scene or something. Okay. But yeah, I think it's going to just be a completely separate thing from everything. Okay. All right. That works then. I was also a little bit disappointed, like you said, that they didn't do anything with Gus's romance in this episode. Yeah. I think that that will be addressed in the premiere then, not in the, the musical. I just hope people don't forget about it because it's so long away. Yeah. I mean, that that's not really on the show. 
you know, because yeah, they'll guess. probably they could probably do a previously on psych to get us caught up. But yeah. in reality, it's on the viewer to remember those sort of things over a hiatus. Yeah. You know, I mean, a hiatus, you can There's little you can do as a show to right. to do anything about that. Right. And, and do you think that the trout? character may lead to Sean having to come clean about it's being a possibility second. it's definitely a possibility but I, I almost think that that's not where it's gonna go we, we've had that discussion a couple times and I think it's just that he's gonna start saying that his ability has has left him and that right. now he's relying on his just his detective skills okay so we're not gonna get any I guess coming clean it's just he's going to become more of a detective than a psychic detective I think he will come clean with the people that matter, and that is Lassie, Jules, who Jules already knows, Henry already knows, obviously Gus has been in on it from the very beginning, Right. and I think Chief Vic already knows, and he'll, he'll come clean to her when she's no longer the police chief, so she's aware of it. And she'll say something like, I've known all along, or something of that nature. So you think we'll see Chief Vic a couple more times? I don't think she's gone. I think think she's still... I don't know if she's still going to be a regular, but she'll be definitely recurring. Okay, and I think we'll see McNabb again, too. Yeah, I was disappointed by that, but maybe it's because he got some other gigs and wasn't able to stick around for it. I also see a plot line where they go on cases and he's working different jobs as a part of the case. I think that's the best way to keep him involved. And then in the finale, they end up getting him his job back as yeah, a cop. right. Exactly. Yeah, that'd be great. So, you know, one day, like, they're, they're investigating a restaurant, and he's the waiter there. You yep. know, one day, they need him as assistant, he shows up there. I think that could be really fun. Got to see Chief Vic maybe go back to being a stay-at-home mom or being the chief. Yep. That would be some funny stuff, too. So there's a lot of potential for that. But I do like the possibility of Sean coming clean to Lassie, because I think that's good character development. It might be a great way to end their arc with each other. Because they, they kind of have this love-hate, almost kind of frenemy relationship. And so it would be cool to see that get kind of resolved a little bit by, by the end. So anyway, yep. ending our discussion on Psych, you can tell it's return in December with a two-hour musical episode, which... I'm excited for it, but could go hit or miss for me. I don't know. We'll see. I've got to say that this seventh season proved psych because one of those rare shows that have gotten better with age. As the premiere episode spoofing Lethal Weapon, the Blair Witch Project spoof, got Office Space, the episode that still has me laughing about its opening with Gus contaminating crime scene, were some of my favorite episodes of the series. I was also very impressed with the heartfelt drama that was introduced in this season, with Juliet discovering Sean was not psychic, as it delivered the very intriguing, awake-formatted episode, based on the short-run TV show on GunBC. And we also got some really well-written, heartfelt scenes between actors James Roday and Maggie Lawson, because Sean tried to win back the woman he loved. Honestly, I did not know that a show this fun-loving and goofy could deliver so much heart. And it's a darn shame that the big moment we envisioned when Juliet and Sean got back together was just described in one sentence of dialogue. In my opinion, this season was great, but I liked 5 and 6 just a little bit better as they had some great relationship stuff going on with Sean and Gus this season. God, they kind of dropped the ball on both of them. Again, Gus's romance still has some hope, as his issues with Rachel can be resolved next season, even though there should have been a mention it in this episode, just so we're reminded of what happened when it comes back. But as for Sean and Juliet, the plotline for them kind of sunk, unless the writers have something big planned for a marriage proposal. So I guess here's to a successful eighth and final season for Psych. So Nika, what were your overall thoughts on this seventh season for Psych? 
I think this season was one of Sykes' strongest and most consistent seasons in the entire run of the show. Yes, there were single episodes or multiple episode arcs from earlier seasons that topped this season, but as a whole, this season was the most consistent and funny of the series. My favorite episode of the season was Hands Down Office Space, and the antics of Sean and Gus at the crime scene nearly made me piss myself as I was laughing so hard. From a storytelling and writing perspective, Right Turn or Left for Dead was my favorite episode of the season, and that may have to do with me loving the Awake show and the idea that they were referencing and using to tell that story. It was brilliantly done, and the psych twist they used to make it their own at times even topped the source material of the actual show Awake. Lassie Jerky was another great episode that I loved this season. I could go on, but in the end, I'd just be reviewing all the episodes this season and why I love this season so much. Yeah, and it's really worth almost a second watch of this season because there was so much funny stuff to laugh at. So yeah, so kudos to Psych on a great season. I can't wait to see what they have in store for us for an epic final season complete with a two-hour musical, which should be a lot of fun. So look out, Miz. We've got <laughs> something coming. Yeah, and with that, I think it's about time that we wrap up our regular section, or one episode regular section this week, and jump into the Airwaves Rundown section. You're watching CBS. Sci-Fi's Pope for Mondays. FX. In USA. Characters welcome. EMT. We know trauma. Kicking things off with Sunday, there were actually two episodes from last week's finale of Family Guy, but I only felt like reviewing the Stewie and Brian episode last week, so now I'll review the second episode this week. So here's that episode entitled, No Country Club for Old Men. The Griffins join a country club, but end up getting kicked out. This week's episode went in a handful of different directions before the halfway point. America's got talent, Chris dating another girl, but once the Griffins sat down at a table with the wealthiest family in Rhode Island and Carter Peterschmidt starts acting like a total suck-up, this was headed in a Carter and Peter direction, once again flipping their relationship so that Carter needed Peter for an entirely selfish goal. While I enjoyed the America's Got Talent spoof with Peter playing the harmonica up his butt and laughed hardest when he farted it out, it was purely at the dick and fart joke level. Literally. Peter and Carter's final ploy posing as Vice Count James Earl Tennis Racket and Duke of Lacrosse team to seem above the exceedingly wealthy Barrington made me laugh for sheer ridiculousness and hearing Carter jokingly quote losing my religion as Barrington attempted to shoot Michael Stipe is one of those moments where a character makes a strange reference that doesn't fit their personality but in a good way if that makes any sense. But this episode took a lot longer to get to its main plot without as many laughs along the way. Yes, I had a good laugh at the University of Arizona pulse check admissions policy, but otherwise, only the Peters poker tell and Barrington's family inventing the hat buckle which replaced the hat zipper cutaways were worth anything. Overall, a lazy and disappointing season finale for Family Guy and might make sense to those of you asking why I didn't review this episode last week. So with that, we're going to move on to The Simpsons. And again, there were two episodes in last week's finale, but I only felt like reviewing one. So here's the second one entitled Dangers on a Train. Marge mistakes a swinging Ashley Madison-type website for a Dolly Madison-type cupcake site, not realizing it's a destination for married people seeking liaisons. On the site, she meets the charming Ben, who pursues her after they learn they share a love for Dalton Abbey-type TV series. 
This week's episode, Dangers on a Train, is notable for guest star Seth MacFarlane, the creator of fellow Fox show Family Guy and other animated series that emphasize quick cutaway gags over the slow-building comedy of The Simpsons at its peak. Family Guy's influence can be seen in the moment during Dangers on a Train when Marge is watching Upton Rectory, a parody of Downton Abbey, and is informed that public TV airs the show thanks to a sizable endowment from Hooters Restaurant and a generous grant from a man named Generous Grant. Like so many jokes this season, this is the kind of think smart-ass viewers like me could easily come up with on our own, and there's not much victory in the Simpsons writers beating us to it. This week's episode is more standard 2013 Simpsons fare with another trip to the bottomless well of stories about Marge feeling neglected by Homer as their 10th anniversary nears. McFarlane is the impossible nice guy named Ben that she has a flirtation with after meeting him on a dating website for married people wanting to screw around. She thinks she's ordering snack cakes for Homer from Dolly Madison, unaware she's on the website Sassy Madison, a parody of the real-life Ashley Madison website. Meanwhile, Homer is actually planning a grand gesture for his wife, fixing up the kitty railroad at the mall that he and Marge rode on their first wedding anniversary. There's no monorail-type disaster this time, and Dangers on a Train has one of the simpler and sweeter Homer and Marge reconciliations. This is followed by a quick recap of the story done with even cruder animation than the show had at its start, angular, spiky, and a little bit mensing, which many people complained about, but I felt paid tribute to the show's roots when it was just a sketch show on the Tracy Ullman show. Once again, like the Family Guy last week, this final episode was much weaker than the penultimate or first episode of the two-part finale, so I was disappointed once again. So wrapping up Simpsons this week, now it's time for Michael to take over with the Revolution section and his review of this week's episode, Children of Men. Hey guys, Michael here. Welcome back to my Revolution Rundown section for this week's episode, episode 19 of Revolution, Children of Men. Now, this is the penultimate episode of Revolution Season 1, and it was actually actually a very good penultimate episode. And I was a little, little worried last week what they were going to do because I didn't think they were going to even get into the tower until the finale, but I'm really glad they did what they did here. First of all, I want to talk about Rachel and Monroe's scenes in the tower. And now, last last week's episode ended with the cliffhanger being Rachel arming a grenade with herself and Monroe in the same room. Uh, she does do that in this episode. It does explode. However, it is thrown out of the tent, and there are only few casualties, none of which being Rachel or Monroe or any of Monroe's top leaders, which is unfortunate for Rachel, but fortunate for... The- for the rest of the uh, season. I really liked Monroe and Rachel's scenes in um, the quote-unquote undisclosed location that Dick Cheney and other presidents or vice presidents used within the tower. That was very interesting. The whole emotional escapade that they went down, especially Rachel with her, her realizing that she herself really doesn't want to die because she still wants to see Charlie. And one of the things that I've had a problem with with Rachel, at least this half of the season, after Danny's death, was that she seemed like she was more living for Danny than Charlie and didn't really care much about Charlie. But it seems that really she doesn't want to die. Like, subconsciously, she doesn't want to because she does want to see her daughter again. And that was actually a sigh of relief for myself. But then we also saw that side of Monroe as well, where we saw that he feels guilty for everyone who, have, who has died under his command. 
he even realizes that he is the problem in his own republic, something that Neville talks about later. He wants to see his son. He's been searching for his son that we found out that he had, um, I want to say, four or five episodes ago. He wants to see his son. He wants to meet this kid. He wants to be a father. But he doesn't know what his son will think of him when he does because of his reputation as being of being the leader of the Monroe Republic. Outside of this scene, another scene I really liked was when Neville and Jason were captured, and that was when they were trying to get into the tower. They did not get in. However, Nora, Miles, Aaron, and Charlie did. Uh, Jason and Neville ended up getting captured by two of Monroe's top leaders, and Neville actually ends up turning one of them to his side and says, if we overthrow Monroe, the Monroe Republic can survive because I'm still a believer in the Monroe Republic. He goes, the only issue with it is Monroe himself, something that Monroe kind of actually said himself in his conversation with Rachel. I thought that was very interesting, and what was even more interesting was that Jason is now almost on his side. It seems like last week's episode pushed Jason away from Charlie and right into Monroe's hands, and I'm, I'm really anxious with what we're going to see with Monroe for the rest of this season, if not next season. If he does end up killing Monroe this season and taking charge of the Monroe Republic, which I think he may, it will be very interesting to see whether or not he wants to become like Monroe and be kind of a bad guy, a dictator sort of, or if he's going to want to be friendly with the Georgia Federation, if he'll offer Miles a position in his military and whether or not Miles may or may not accept that. There are a lot of thoughts going through my head about what could happen the rest of the season and really the rest of next season as well. However, I'm going to try and keep them at a minimum as this is the penultimate episode and my predictions for next season will really weigh on or I guess depend on what happens in next week's finale. One of the things I really liked in this penultimate episode was that we get to see Jenkins again. and. Jenkins, I believe we saw him the first half of the season. He was the tower's commander, and he's the one who took Randall's order initially to activate the Nanites, causing the blackout. And you find out that he is the gr- he is uh, the leader of the group that took Grace, that saved her from Randall's guys, and he's also against turning the lights back on. And according to Grace and himself. There are two options as a result of deactivating the nanites that are keeping the power off. A, the lights could turn back on and power could happen again. Or B, the world could set on fire. And I would assume that that is a result of the chemicals within the nanites that deactivate the power in the first place, that they could go wrong. Rachel does say this is a one in a million chance, but I'm not so sure. And I have a feeling that whatever's in level 12 could help explain that, or could even be worse than that. It would be, it, ultimately, it's going to be very interesting to see where this show goes next season, if turning the lights on will even be a recurring theme or even be an option. Uh, finally, one of the bigger things that I wanted to uh, talk about here was the flashbacks this week. I really like them a lot. I liked seeing Ben Matheson again. 
I liked seeing two sides of Ben Matheson. Because we see him before the blackout, and we see him after the blackout in these flashbacks. And before the blackout, he was very focused on his work. He wanted to do what he was doing. And he seemed almost a little different from the pilot, because in the pilot, we see it immediately right before the blackout. Whereas this is a week before. So something must have changed within that week to make him afraid, to make him not want to go through with turning the lights off. But we see him after the blackout as well. And we see, uh, of course, Rachel before and after. And both times, she feels guilty for what they're doing or what they've done. And Ben kind of has to convince her to stay strong for the kids, which may be the reason why she went to Miles or Monroe in the first place. Ultimately, this episode was pretty good. I really did enjoy it. The One of the writer's names was David Rambo, and anyone who's seen First Blood will know that Ram, the name Rambo is an amazing name. So therefore, this episode had to be good. I really liked the pulse guns, the coil guns, I should say. That was very cool, and it was very funny that Aaron made a Mythbusters reference with that. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's all I really have to say for this week's episode. I mean, next week's episode, The Dark Tower, is going to be very interesting. Um, it's really going to shape where this show goes in the future. Because there's a lot riding on this season's plotline, at least in this episode and next week's episode. It'll be very interesting to see what the next plotline will be. And I think next week's episode, episode 20 of the finale, will, will in fact, reveal that. So, um, yeah, come back next for next week's episode of ATA to hear my thoughts on the season one finale of Revolution. And yes, it was renewed for season two, a 22-episode season two, which will now be airing when Supernatural actually used to air uh, this, this past uh, television season. On Wednesday at 8, 9 central. So check that out. You can watch it after Arrow. Because you should all be watching Arrow. And yeah. I'll give it back to you guys. Dan and Nico. Uh, See you guys next week. For the finale episode of Revolution. The Dark Tower. Bye guys. Thanks Michael. Now we will take over with his review. Of the great new comedy. The Goodwin Games. With this week's episode. Welcome home Goodwins. Nico and Dan, it's your old buddy Wes Kim with his thoughts on this week's episode of the Goodwin Games entitled Welcome Home Goodwins. I really like the interactions with all three of our main characters. I love the, their individual stories as well. I love in this episode we find more about Jimmy's character. We knew he was a thief before, but we realized that he's a, a thief with a heart of gold and a, a thief with a bit of naivete when he realizes that crime is not victimless especially in a small town. I loved his interactions with his buddy Keith the cop, and it really sets up Jimmy's storyline for the for the rest of the season, that not only does he have to pay back the guy that he owes money to, but he has to keep it under wraps that he's the one that stole the sporting goods from the sporting goods store. I really enjoyed Scott Foley, Henry Goodwin in this episode. I really loved the dynamic of he probably never failed at anything when he was when he was in school. He always he probably always had top honors in school, a great athlete, a great student. But to find out when he comes back from his very successful job that the girl that he left 
is dating a person that he probably wouldn't have given a second look to in high school in terms of a threat that this guy is dating the woman that I dumped and the woman that I dumped should date somebody more close to my level. I really like that because Scott Foley played, played that storyline up to the point where you don't see Henry as a jerk as so much as a person that you could empathize with and almost see his point of view but still repelled by him at the same time too. I really think that shows his range as a great performer. Becky Newton, I loved, I loved Chloe Goodwin in this episode because we've all met a Chloe Goodwin in school, ladies and gentlemen of the podcast world. This idea of a girl that was popular in school, but there's a big difference of being popular and being liked. And she finally understands the difference between being liked for the sake of youth orchid parties and being liked for being like a really good and genuine person. I loved Chloe at the end of the episode, pretty much with her, her hat in her hand. But in this case, it was actually cream cheese when she showed up at April's office and smeared the cream cheese in her hair. And later we find out the mustard in her hair like she, like Chloe did to April in high school. I love Chloe go, trying to redeem herself in her friend's eyes and Henry trying to redeem herself, redeem himself, I should say, in in her, his ex-girlfriend's eyes, and really Jimmy trying to redeem himself in the eyes of his daughter. This whole series is about two things to me. One, about reconnecting with family and trying to make the bonds of family strong again, or make them strong for the first time in the Goodwin's case, and also to redeem yourself, to make amends for who you were when you were younger and try to be a better person now. I, once again, I really hope this show gets picked up for more episodes. I think Carter Bay, Carter Bay's Chris Harris and Craig Thomas really have a winner here. It has the same heart that you would find on How I Met Your Mother. Again, watch it on Hulu, watch it live, watch it, record it on TiVo. Do whatever you can to really support this show because I think with How I Met Your Mother ending next season, we need a show with a lot of heart. And I think this show has a lot of heart to it. Well, see you guys later. Please listen to Across the Airwaves, other shows, DC Nation. And Michael J. Petty and I will have something very special for the Across the Airwaves audience within the next couple days. So please stay tuned to the podcast feeds. Let's take it back to Dan and Nico. Bye, guys. Thanks, Wu, and welcome to the rundown section. Now let's move on to the new voicemail section to finish out this week's episode. A call has been forwarded. For, 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 forwarded to an automatic voice message system. It's not available. To page this person, press 5 now. Tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. In this week's section, we have a voicemail from Andy about his reaction to the News with Nico story about Matt Smith leaving Doctor Who. Hi, Dan, Nico, and everybody else who's listening to this. This is Andy speaking. I just wanted to give you my 
few cents on this whole Matt Smith leaving Doctor Who thing that was announced this weekend. And um, to begin with, I'm a I've been a big fan of Matt Smith since he came in as a Doctor. Even though I came in late in the game with Doctor Who, I still enjoyed everything he has done. And um, the thing is, I'm not surprised about this announcement that he's leaving because it has been rumored a long time now through interviews and so on that he is possibly considering leaving. And um, you know, it's so it makes sense. And also to look at it from this perspective, David Tennant, who was who is one of the best doctors ever. He did three sh series, um, which is seasons in UK, and, um, and then he left before Matt Smith took over. And you know, three seasons is a long time. Uh, still, you know, people, some people may think that oh, three seasons is not that long at all. It is. It, it's really, it's really a long time, um, and when when it comes to, to Doctor Who and any other show in that matter, and um, so. I'm not surprised that Matt Smith is, has decided to step down, but also, I, of course, I am a bit sad because he's he's been such a great doctor. He's been fun. I think he's surprised a lot of us and so on. I know that a lot of people were surprised when he came in because he was so young and so on. But he he's a really talented actor, and he I know that you know anybody who get you know anybody who hires him should be so honored because they they will get a great actor to star in their production whether it's a television show or a movie because you know he's simply amazing so it's gonna yeah, it's gonna be weird when we get to the Christmas special which will be this December uh, when which will be his final Doctor Who appearance and you know obviously I'm also I'm also psyched for the 50th anniversary because we're gonna see him starring alongside David Tennant as the Doctor so that'll be fun and um now basically, it's um, yeah, I, I'm not surprised, but I, but I am sad, but it's you know it's that's the that's the point with the show that you know at some point any actor who portrays the Doctor will leave, and that's when the Doctor regenerates. And um, now, as regarding the the subject of who should replace Matt Smith, that's that's a that's a big question. Um, I I was joking around the other day that Alexis Denisov, who played Fred. I mean Wesley, who played Wesley on Angel, uh, would be a great candidate in my in my opinion. But I know it's not going to happen. But it would be fun because he, I think he would make a great Doctor. But you know, I'm I I trust the producers and the showrunners of Doctor Who to do a great casting. I'm sure they are doing it as we speak. You know, who knows? Maybe they've already picked one. I don't know. I haven't been paying that much attention, but. I believe that they will find a great replacement and so on. And he will most likely surprise us just as much as Matt Smith, Matt Smith surprised us when he came in. And, you know, it's... I wish... I wish him all the best. I'm lo I'm looking forward for the 50th anniversary and the Christmas special. And hopefully we'll get to see him along with Ma uh, Stephen Moffat this year at Comic-Con, which is just around the corner now, a month away. So, just as, you know, to have kind of like a goodbye to us as fans, you know, like, in front of us and so on, because that would be fun. And overall, it's, yeah, I can't wait. So, um, until then, guys, have a good one, and make sure to follow Doctor Who. Bye-bye.
Thanks, Andy, for your thoughts. We look forward to hearing from some of our other listeners next week with comments or theories to play in the voicemail section. Just a reminder, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 773-809-3363 and give us your thoughts or feedback. Hope to hear from some of you soon. All right. So with that, Nico, is it time to move into the closing now? Indeed. On next week's episode, the TV schedule continues to wind down as we've already had most of our season finales, but Game of Thrones will return for its penultimate episode along with Warehouse 13. We will also round things out with another Airwaves Rundown section featuring our brief thoughts on Revolution, the Goodwin Games, Defiance, the season premiere for the final season of Burn Notice, and maybe even more. But for even more reviews and information on all our favorite shows, check out the blogs available on our website at acrosstheairwaves.com. And just so you know, we may have some different folks involved with next week's episode because I will be on vacation. So be ready for some surprises next week. Could be interesting. Nico's got a big one for you guys, so get excited for that. All right. So anyhow, until we come out with our next episode, you can check out our spinoff podcasts. We've got a new podcast, which was formerly known as KTA Retro Reviews. That podcast is called It's Tangent Time. That's a show hosted by Michael and Wu, where they basically choose a topic of something out of the entertainment industry, from anything from James Bond to Power Rangers to maybe some of Nico's news that he gives us for the week. They talk about it. This is to avoid Wu from kind of going off on tangents during the Longwell Hunters podcast. So this is an outlet for Michael and Wu to do all their tangents so they will stay on topic on the Arrow podcast. So check it out. It's them having a good time. They really provide interesting insight on a variety of topics. So keep an eye out for the first episode of Tangent Time. It's going to be a lot of fun and probably a good laugh. Also, we've got Across the Airwaves DC Nation podcast, which is momentarily on a brief hiatus due to everything we had to get done with the regular ATA, got me going on vacation and stuff. But when we come back, we're going to do a extended episode covering a few issues of Smallville because we're a little bit behind on that. God, we're also going to catch up on Teen Titans Go. So that should come out sometime during the week of the 11th when I return from vacation. Also, we have ATA Longbow Hunters, the Arrow podcast, which is also currently on hiatus at this point because Longbow Hunters, of course, covers new episodes of the hit CW series Arrow. And since Arrow is on hiatus for the summer, there's no need for episodes of Longbow Hunters. But expect that podcast to return in the fall. Also, if you'd like, even though I'll be out of town, someone will answer you. You can contact us in a variety of ways. You can contact us by visiting our newly updated and improved website at www.acrosstheairwaves.com. There you can email us at acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. You can also click the button on our page to like our Facebook. And through doing that, you will stay updated on our podcast episode releases and also be able to follow all the entertainment news that Nico reports on during our Across the Airwaves episodes. Now for that same information, you can follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter is Across Airwaves. There's no the on there. It's just Across Airwaves. Or you can join our circle on Google+. Also, if you'd like, you can leave us a voicemail. Okay, what number can you call to do that, Nico? 773-809-3363. So you can follow after Andy and Wu. Can leave us a voicemail. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. Okay, we really like to hear from some different people. So if you guys can send us something, that would be excellent. Also, we've got our YouTube channel, which you can check out, which provides all sorts of previews and promos for upcoming movies and movies that are currently in theaters right now. And that includes Iron Man 3, Star Trek in the Darkness, The Lone Ranger, The Wolverine, Superman, Man of Steel, everything that's coming out this summer, we've got a trailer for. And we have multiple trailers for them. So keep an eye out for that. God, there's some great stuff coming. 
Also, if you don't want to go back through our podcast for all the ways you could contact us, you could download our Podcast Box app, which will let you listen to our podcast and contact our podcast on your iPad and iPhone. For that same content, if you're on an Android or Windows device, you could download our Android app through the Amazon Marketplace. So check that out. Go once again for our other ATA podcast hosts, Michael J. Petty, Wu Kim, and Andy Babacht. I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Reifstek. And until our next episode, we'll catch you on the airwaves. See you guys. Have a great week, and I'll see you when I get back on vacation. See ya. In between the lines, there's a lot of obscurity. I'm not inclined to resign to maturity. If it's all right. Now return to our regularly scheduled program.